Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country and was named a Center of Excellence by the Ohio Board of Regents in 2010. It's proud to showcase the Stephen L. Schoonover Center for Communication, a brand new facility completed in 2015. State-of-the-art laboratory spaces and flipped classrooms are just two of the many features in the new building. Read more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features interviews with an eclectic group of people, some famous and some not, but all with fascinating stories. This time, we're talking with the man behind the music, Ken Ehrlich, who has produced 36 straight Grammy Award shows, plus countless hours of music specials for television. We caught up with Ken while he was visiting his alma mater, Ohio University. Uh, you haven't been back often, I take it. No. Uh, I, I, part you of haven't our had time to be back <laughs> often. We travel. We do. You know, we do a lot of shows on the road. So when I when I don't have to be on the road, I like being home. So I, I want to talk about your days at Ohio University a, a, a bit. Uh, did they prepare you for what you've done in your life? Yeah, in a very in a very kind of roundabout way. You know, when I think I, that's the case with a lot of us. Yeah, Go ahead. Was there was not a college of communication? It was journalism school. Right. It was. You know. It was in the days of. In terms of journalism, it was the five W's, you know, yep. and I don't think that's changed. I, I think that, you know, when it comes down to it, whether whatever sequence you're in, whatever your career path is, that's still germane to it. You really need to. That's communication. That's the definition of communication. Who, what, where, when, why. Talk talk about the your your switch from being in Chicago to going to L.A. That was an interesting part I, I noted in your biography. Yeah, well, um, uh, I had start, actually started the Soundstage show in, in 1974 when I, I started at, at, a, at the PBS station. I had done a little local TV show in Chicago called the Marty Fay Show, which was a late night Saturday night show. And then in, in uh, 1972, um, I actually uh, 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 went to the PBS station, and Ohio University figures in that. Uh, and again, I'm going to talk about that uh, sure, uh, sure. later. But um, uh, I had a job offer to come back here. And and if you'll recall, as yes. I can tell you, you can, it was it was Vietnam, it was Nixon, it was, it was crazy. And Chicago was this kind of vortex of a lot of problems. 68 so, Chicago so, convention. Yeah, the convention. Yeah. So my wife and I, we had a two-year-old at that point, uh, wanted to get out of uh, that. We wanted to, There was this whole kind of movement. Let's get out of the big cities. Let's go back to a simpler place. Well, Athens, Ohio was a simpler place. It certainly was then. So I had a job offer to come back here. And at the last minute, things happen as life happens. And I wound up not uh, not doing it, not coming here and actually going to the PBS station. And that was a turn. That was the beginning of that career path. So first it was a local show named Made in Chicago. Then it became Soundstage. And then uh, a couple of years into Soundstage, I had an offer to go out to come out to California. 
Um, it was it was also kind of a part-time seven or eight week thing. I took a leave of absence from the PBS station and wound up staying there. You had for, to have that uh, security 40, net. Oh, right? you're not kidding. <laughs> Especially so, uh, when you had a family. Yeah. So we moved out, uh, and it, and everything turned out well. And you know, I, I I stayed pretty much in the specials world. I you know I could have, as as you pointed out, I did produce Fame for a sure. couple of years somewhere there. But my career has basically been these one-offs where you go. It's 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 uh, it's the uh, the desperado. Uh, uh, formula of come on in for two, three months and then move on to the next one. But a repeated uh, theme throughout is is not just been these one shows, but but music. Uh, was there something that that grabbed you about producing music shows? Well, I love music, uh, and music was a part of my life here. I, I, I mentioned to you, you know, there was a there was a little bar uptown. Uh, the Lantern. The Lantern. That's that right. You said you remembered as I well. Do. <laughs> um, I do. Too the, well. I, I actually, I, I actually uh, played uh, afternoon lounge piano uh, two or three days a week for I don't know, maybe a year, a couple of years there, and and music was a tremendous part of my life. Uh, um, I ran for J Prom King. Uh, I don't right. know if anyone now knows what that means, you know, but it was a it, it was, was a, it was the equivalent of a homecoming. It was a big you know. spring event. It was a big spring uh, on, event on on campus. And and I actually finished second. And I finished second not because of certainly not because of my looks or my whatever, <laughs> but basically because I played the piano and I rem- I can remember I did a medley of uh, Vince Guaraldi's Cast Your Fate to the Wind, and then I finished it with Ray Charles. I loved Ray Charles. I played the piano. I played What I Say. And it was, uh, it, that was, that, that's remains as one of my, uh, <laughs> solid, one of the, one of the great <laughs> well, days of my life. Well, your solid performances, yeah, right? So. So, that, that love of music, uh, I mean, you, you've worked with the, the world's greats. Uh, is, is it, Harder to produce music because of the element of sound, or or is it easier because it has a beginning and an end, and it's not ongoing? Well, it's both. Because on the one hand, it's kind of a it's a known quantity. Because for the most part, we're working with artists who, when they come to do our shows, have a a body of work that we're that that our job is to translate visually and make it interesting scenically and but obviously also technically to, to retain and to enhance the quality of the music but it but the 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 difficulty comes in that because there is so much music programming there's so much available the the challenge for a, a producer is to bring something creative to it something innovative and and our contribution, if you will, has been this kind of what people call them Grammy moments. They're, they're combinations where I'll take two artists and put them together, where we'll do something that uh, traditionally an artist will go on a television show and do their biggest hit, and I'll go to them, whether it's the Grammys or other shows that we do, and say, I don't want to do your hit. I want to do something that you want to do. I, wa- I, want, I want to ask you, wait a minute, I read somewhere, or we talked before about how you love Billie Holiday, you know, Let's do let, let's do a Billie Holiday song. Let's do something different, and and part of it is this because it's the love of music, but it's also trying to continue this through line of what music has meant to people over the years and where this particular artist fits in. You look at, at television now, uh, at least commercial television, uh, not PBS. Uh, the variety show's gone. 
the music special is uh, certainly the oddity. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that a genre that's going away? I don't know if it's going away. I think uh, the, the the what where it's where where it's crossed in the curve is the word event and and what what still seems to work and what still audiences are interested in viewers are interested in are events grammys is an event um a concert from cuba would be an event a you know where where you combine the the, the musical elements with some uh, newsworthy might be too strong a word but it is something that's unique and something that you haven't seen before uh, a place um, uh, you know, the 100th birthday of Frank Sinatra, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. These are events. These are things sure. that, 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 that whether you are, you know, 50 or 60 years old or whether you're 15, you know, all your life you've heard about, oh, my God, what was it like at the Ed Sullivan Theater when, you know, the Beatles took the stage the, in the, right. that, that day in February, February 9th, 1965. Uh, I was uh, actually... I was here when they first did it. I, I lived, uh, I lived, uh, uh, there was a woman named Mrs. Finsterwald. She was kind of oh, a legendary, yes. Yes. her son was Dow Finsterwald, yes, the, golfer. the golfer. And she had a house two blocks away from here. And for a year, I think, I lived in the basement. You of know, that house. And she invited us up. She had a TV, of course. And I, I can remember on February 9th, this was, no, this was actually 63, you know, walking up to her living room. There were a bunch of us, and we sat there, and we watched the Beatles. I mean, that, that's history, and it remains of, of interest to people today. So I assume that that thread is, is somewhat true when, when you do uh, the PBS performance at the White House. It, mm-hmm. It's not an event, but it's sort of a— a place held in reference, uh, reverence, uh, so it's it's tied to a place, right? Yeah, but it's a, but it's also the combination. The shows that we've done, we did uh, we 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 did. It was an anniversary. It was just, it was during Black History Month, and we did a show about the civil music of the civil rights movement. So Bob Dylan came and sang the times they are the times they are changing. You know, about a half a mile, quarter of a mile from where he had sung it on the mall. You know, 50 years ago in 1963. (laughs) That's impactful. Uh, Joan Baez was on the show. The Freedom Singers were on the show. And each one of the shows we've done have been themed um, with the participation and collaboration of the president and the president's staff so that we are doing things that are not – it's not just about being in the East Room of the White House, which, by the way, is pretty damn – Cool. It is. <laughs> you know, but beyond that, there is this overlay of, uh, of historical perspective. We'll be back after this short message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further not just ready for change, but hungry for it. 
demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands, and this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. In doing my research for talking with you, uh, you had a quote. I hope you remember it. I'm not sure who you said it to, but but you said artistic excellence in the entertainment field is a movable feast. What did you mean by that? Well, I I, I think it's uh, it's that we're things are constantly changing, and I think particularly in music, um, but it's in pop culture. It's in all forms of of popular culture. You know, it goes from one thing to another, and and uh, you know, we're at a time right now where this there's this kind of um, hip hop is is pre- is the predominant pe- part of American culture. Where did hip hop come from? Well, it came from narrative, it came from lyric, it came from story, um, and and all I think I've tried to do over the years w- with whatever country music has parallels. Country music is always about stories. It's always story driven. Um, country music, at least in its old form, was was like uh, watching a soap opera in three minutes. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So I think that's what I mean by I may I, you know I I don't know you know movable feast just means basically that the landscape changes regularly. So as you're approaching things to do and. and you know, I, I I didn't even scratch the surface in my introduction of you of, of things to do. How do you evaluate whether something's worth your time? How, I mean, I'm sure early on you were hungry and took on things uh, that were offered, but now that you're getting uh, towards the end part of your career, not the end, but the end part of your career. Is there something I don't know? <laughs> no, no, no. I just know you and I are age contemporary. <laughs> so so we're looking at that end part of our yeah. career. Do you evaluate things differently? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I do. I, I don't know that I can put my finger on it. I, I uh, honestly, I wish I could, I wish I, I wish I had more, I could be more discriminating. I love to work. I'm not at a point in my life where I want to hang it up. Um, I'm still enjoying what I do. I still get a thrill out of working with acts. You know, this year on the Grammys, we had four or five, maybe even six acts that were totally new acts. I mean, the, you know, the, 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 a lot of the acts keep coming back to us. They still have things to offer, and I enjoy working with them. But this year, there's a, there was, a, there was a, a young female singer named Andra Day who I absolutely loved, and I had put her on a – we had done a racism special a month or two before, and I thought she was remarkable. Uh, so I wound up putting her with Ellie Goulding, who's a young British singer. And then we did Tori Kelly and James Bay, two young artists that are emerging now. And, and Miguel, a young, uh, young artist whose channel channels Michael Jackson. And I had him actually do a minute and a half of uh, She's Out of My Life, a Michael Jackson song. So I love the idea of, uh, to me, that's what keeps me energized, the idea of you know, the first timers, the, the kids we work with on various shows, who you know, you hope anyway, that they're going to be around for a while. And, and we've, had, we've been very lucky because over the years, we've, we've watched artists grow with us and we've grown with them. Uh, 
So when you get uh, a gig to do the Grammys, you know, uh, they, they say, Ken, come, come do the Grammys for us. Do you have carte blanche in – I know they have certain awards that they have to give. But do you have carte blanche in how to uh, structure uh, the show and no, how to pace no. the show? No, it's it, you know there. First of all, there's a network involved, of course, um, and in this case, it's CBS, which has been a great partner for all these years. Uh, secondly, the Academy itself has a, uh, a group of people who um, uh, the, the the television committee who I work with. Um, the 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 there is no carte blanche, but what there is is a sense of responsibility that you are representing both the network and the institution that auspices the 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 awards. So you you need to have a sense of responsibility. Um, the joy that I get going back to this idea of is the creative carte blanche. The you know the, the ideas for the show primarily come out of this old head, you know, and, and uh, that's, again, that's, that's the part that I probably am more uh, insistent that there be high standards. It, and high standards is in quality work. Yeah, I, you know the 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 criteria because I'm asked this a lot is how do people get on the show? You have to be good. You know, one of the things that I think, and by the way, this is not a not not a slam at any other because there are, sure. now there are a lot of music awards. Sure, sure, shows. sure. But the criteria really is you got to be good. You know, and and I and not just even though it's called the National Association of Recording Arts and Sciences, it's really about what you do in three and a half minutes live in front of this year 25 million people. You know, uh, you, you got to be a good live performer. You can, you can make the greatest records in the world, but the reality at this point is what are you going to do to the 15,000 people that are sitting in that arena and the 25 million people that are sitting at home? Watching? And there's often a difference, right, between live performers Absolutely. and, and, and Absolutely. recording artists. Yeah. yeah. That the, at our age, uh, you know, stress, we sometimes try to reduce it. Uh, at least our contemporaries do. I'm not sure you and I have a <laughs> done a good job at reducing. Well, from listening to you a few minutes ago, it doesn't sound like you've, no, I'm you've not succeeded at no. that very well. But do you still get the rush of a live show? And, and what's what's that like? Tell our listeners. What I mean, what's that feel like? I can't describe it. It is it, there. There's really nothing like it. It's it's you know uh, I, I traditionally will do a warm up to the audience, which couldn't care less about anything I have to say <laughs> three minutes before a show. But I'll go out there and I'll try and at least settle them and at the same time get them up. Um, and when that, you know, when we do that countdown, it really it literally is 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, and then you shut up because you don't want to be heard sure. on the air. Um, man, it's it's exciting. Last year, let's see. Last year, I think we opened the show with ACDC. Well, you know, uh, is the you, know, you open a music show with uh, with a band that's historic that you know that rocks that had everybody standing within thirty seconds. Um, geez, I'm trying to remember what I did this year, uh, but it's just it's it, Taylor oh, Swift. We had Taylor Swift yeah. opened this year, and it's the same thing. You you know, there's a rush at the top of every live show. That's just it's unique. There's nothing quite like it. You can try and get the same feeling tape as live, 
but it's not there. It's, it's, it can't be. It seemed like this year's Grammys, uh, again, concentrating on, on that, uh, this year's Grammys had a lot of production numbers. I mean, they, they were – I mean, there have always been production numbers, but these seem to be, to me, uh, bigger, more, uh, more grandiose. Uh, was that correct? Uh, it might be. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm fond of saying the show, the show doesn't get smaller. <laughs> okay. um, but, you know, it's really interesting because if you, if you analyze it, if you TVO'd that show and you look back at it now, you would, see, you would see all the way up and then you'd see one person standing in the middle of the house doing a song. Then you go all the way up again. I mean, I, I lo- to me, the, the joy of doing this, these, this show in particular, and really all shows, is pacing and structure. And it really is about variety. That's, as you said, variety shows don't exist, but variety exists within these shows because it has to. So that, you know, the, the different genres that a show like the Grammys represents, the different type, you know, up-tempo ballads, the in-one numbers where you where you really get to see, uh, uh, we used to say warts and all, of uh, a performer. That's that. That's the joy of it. And and there were there were moments on that show. Yeah, there was Taylor Swift filling the stage. There was Kendrick Lamar, you know, uh, uh, setting half the stage on fire. Right. But on the <laughs> other hand, you know, there was Miguel in one doing this minute and a half of this Michael song. There was, uh, you know, I used this. We have this center. We call it the, the little pod outside right. in in the middle of the house. Those have become increasingly important pieces of the show. So when you do a show like the uh, Beatles show or or the tribute to Frank Sinatra, there you have, again, uh, multiple artists. Uh, did you have control over that show and, and as far as content and pacing? Well, with Sinatra, we worked very closely with the Sinatra estate. Um, uh, uh, we worked uh, very closely with both Nancy and Tina. Tina was very, I don't want to say hands-on, but very helpful. And there's a historian, an archivist at the Sinatra estate that just – kept us on the right track with everything. What I loved about that show, I, I don't know that America cared that much, but we, we, we were given access to the original charts, the charts that Nelson wow. Riddle wrote, that Gordon Jenkins wrote, that Axel Stordahl wrote, and almost every number, there were one or two that weren't, were those original arrangements, sometimes transcribed or transposed into the key Keys, that an artist right. was doing it, but those were those original arrangements. With the Beatles show, it was one of the joys of my—I mean, I loved both Sinatra and the Beatles. I love music in general. But I can remember like it was yesterday, because it almost was yesterday in December, which was a really literally a month and a half from when we did the show, getting a call from McCartney on, on a Sunday morning because he hadn't committed to performing on the show. He knew we were doing it, and right. we had his blessing. We had the—again, there, there was a major Beatles estate of sure. Beatles— you know, company Apple still exists. And uh, when he called and said, uh, I think he just, it was, it was very simple. He just, Ken, blah, 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 I'm glad we're doing this. This will be great. Let's talk about my set. 
And now here's a man, I mean, again, going back to sitting in Mrs. Finsterwald's living room, yes, watching, watching this, and now 50, right. you know, some years later, and I've got that guy on the phone with me saying, let's talk about what I'm going to play. Do you have any ideas? Whoa. Come on. Uh, you, it just, that's pretty uh, cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then, of course, the two of them, Ringo, Ringo. And Paul and Ringo, yeah. you know, did perform. And it was just like it was it was historic because they had not performed on television since that time, you know, since those, you know, right. since, and, since uh, the breakup. And that was in, I believe, 68, 69, someplace around there, mm-hmm. uh, the breakup. So that was a, that was a long yeah. time. And, and everybody who did the show, the artists that did the show were so, they just loved being there. And, and here were Paul and Ringo and, and Olivia Harrison and Yoko Ono, you know, sitting there watching them do these songs. And you can just imagine, I heard it from every artist. You know, am I going to be okay? Are, you, are they going to like it? And they loved it. They loved every interpretation. They loved, you know, the Eurythmics, you know, reunited. Right. Yeah. You know, it was, there were some, you know, wonder, Stevie did We Can Work It Out, I think. Uh, I mean, it was, it, was, it was wonderful. It was a great show. So you've done all of this television and all of these events on television. What prompted you to do the live Las Vegas show of Celine Dion? Uh, Well, I had worked with her going back to the beginning. She was, we do, we, we have done almost all of her American television work, her specials and things. And I so enjoyed working with her and, and, um, I'm very saddened today, you know. Her husband passed. Renee yeah. has passed away. I had a very close relationship with him. Um, we just, you know, she had already done one show. She had done a show called A New Day, which was her and 30 dancers. Well, when they wanted to change the show. She was coming back. This was her second foray back to Las Vegas. And Renee called and said, you know, we want to do another show, but we don't want it to be let's put Celine Dion in the middle of 40 dancers. Let's, we want it to be about Celine. So, you know, they, they thought or knew that I understood her musically. And so I helped, uh, the, you know, they, they have a great team of people. Um, and it was a joy to work, to, to do. Is, is, do you consider the same things, the same visual elements for a live show that you do for producing something for TV? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it's it's a little different in that, you know, again, with this particular show, they didn't want to head toward too much production. There's some production, but basically the idea was her and a 31-piece orchestra. We've been talking with Ken Ehrlich, who has produced the last 36 straight Grammy Awards shows. We want to thank you for listening to Spectrum. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm Tom Hudson. Coming up next is a riveting conversation with Ira Glass, who's the creator of the ever-popular radio show This American Life and the explosive podcast Serial. For more information about Spectrum, go to woub.org.